Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A6 and Z podcast. I'm Sonal. I'm here today with the third episode of our new short form news show, 16 Minutes, where we cover recent headlines the A6 and Z way, offering expert takes on the trends involved and more. You can follow the show in its own feed in your favorite podcast player app. Our other episodes cover multiple news items and topics, but this week we're doing two separate short but deep dives connected to recent headlines. One on the opioid crisis, which you can find in this feed or at a6nz.com slash 16 minutes. And this episode, which is on esports, gaming, and entertainment. So here's the news. The Fortnite World Cup just happened this past weekend. It's the first time ever it was the inaugural World Cup, and it actually took place in the same exact stadium in New York that the U.S. Open for tennis takes place. And the news was that, besides the fact that this is a big new thing, was that a 16-year-old named Kyle Giersdorf won $3 million. And that is actually the largest prize ever for a single person in esports history. And by the way, his nickname or his player name is Booga. And that's actually the name he got from his grandfather calling him Booga, Booga, Booga when he was a baby, which I think is really cute. Just to put this in even more context before I introduce our experts, what's also really interesting about this is that this prize money is not that different from traditional sports physical sports. Everyone's talking about how Booga earned more money than Tiger Woods did for winning the Masters. And it's not even the biggest prize pool overall. Dota 2's The International is the largest ever so far with over $30 million. And that's what everyone's talking about. To me, the real big news here is that 2 million people concurrently live streamed this this past Sunday on Twitch and YouTube. My friend Angela Watercutter at Wired pointed out that this is not as big as Game of Thrones, but that's a hell of a lot. So it's slowly mainstreaming. I'm going to introduce our A6 and Z experts, Andrew Chen, general partner, who covers our consumer vertical, and Darcy Kulikin on the investing team for consumer. I want to hear from you guys. What's a broader category that this fits in? What's hype? What's real? And how are you guys thinking about this in the context of the future of entertainment and tech? It's a big question. <laughs> awesome. I think, you know, when when we look at esports, the most fascinating thing about it is it is the most publicly visible phenomenon of the much broader trend, which is, you know, the the emergence of, of gaming as a new form of entertainment at, at a peer level to TV and movies and music and so on. Right? Yeah. It's sort of inevitable that it'll, it'll, it'll get there. And just the hours that consumers are putting in really show that. For years, people have said, well, you know, gaming, it's this like hits driven business and you build a game and you release it and you get all your sales in year one and then that's it. And I think what we're seeing is that in this new style of hyper-social gaming properties that have esports leagues around them that have multiplayer built in, that these properties like League of Legends, Riot Games uh, is their flagship game, has now been around for 10 years. It's still doing, you know, over a billion in revenue. And there's still a ton of people playing, you know, EverQuest. There's still a ton of people playing WoW, you know. And World on of and Warcraft, on. World right. of Warcraft, right. And so this is sort of a new way that consumers are coming together and interact with, with, with each other in a big way. And in esports is kind of the natural outcome of all of that. So you've alluded to the fact that people have been talking about this for a while. Why now? What's different that this is finally starting to compete with TV and other forms of entertainment? There's a couple different trends that are coming together. I think the very first one is that video has just be- become such a huge thing. Streaming has become such a huge thing. That is very much to do with the fact that we have phones, we carry these supercomputers in our pocket, we have the bandwidth mobility to be able to do it. And so when you look at these stats around Twitch and YouTube, there's literally billions of monthly actives that are consuming video. 
what that means is that creates this new medium for any any product that produces lots and lots of visual content to live on top of that video. And so we often will, you know, talk about this in the context of gaming or we'll, t- you know, in the context of education or the context of many other of, of, of these things. But gaming is clearly the one that like has very much benefited from that. So I think that's, that's one really big piece. The, the second piece here is that there's Steam, there's all the new consoles, there's cloud gaming, you know, that's coming out. And I think all of these new trends really serve to bring gaming that, you know, that maybe back in the day you would have had to buy a $3,000 PC rig yeah. in order to run like, you Fully know, the load up all end. the graphic processors and all these different things to exactly. really enjoy the game. Exactly. And then now it's like, wow, you know, actually like the iPad plays Fortnite pretty well, right? Yeah. You know, they have to modify the controls a little bit and this and that. Right. But, you know, that is such a amazing experience to be able to, to play one of these massively multiplayer games without needing to spend thousands of dollars. Um, so I think, you know, th- those two things, and we're also just seeing that kids that are growing up playing Minecraft and Roblox, they're graduating to Fortnite, you know, and and there's a very good question, like, are they going to graduate from Fortnite and what else are they going to do? Are, are, are these kids going to find that, you know, in a world where they've been immersed with all of their friends in these like insane, you know, 3D environments, that they're going to go to a 2D feed with static images and think that that's actually the coolest way to hang out with their friends. Like probably not. That's new for us. Right. But for the kids growing up like that with that native worldview, that you're right. Yeah. That's their new, that the baseline has shifted. If you grew up on AOL Instant Messenger, you would not have been able to guess that a system of profiles and feeds and, you know, this and that would be the dominant way to hang out with your friends, not Instant Messenger. And, you know, now for many of us that are in the Facebook or, you know, Instagram kind of generation, I think it's going to be hard to extrapolate like, oh, maybe actually the next way that all all the humans in the world want to get together isn't going to be also feeds and following and photos and, you know, all this other stuff. It might look more like Minecraft, might look more like Fortnite. Yeah, that's so fascinating because it has interesting implications for where the future social network comes from, which is from games. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think you're already seeing this, like the product experience of a Facebook or a chat group is now the product experience of a game itself and the social network layers around it. Fortnite then becomes the place where people hang out. You know, we say, why now? And it's this idea that games entered the cultural zeitgeist and that's driven by a lot of technology and it's driven by video and it's driven by a bunch of these other things. But then, you know, once your friends are playing it, you want to play it. It's kind of like reaches this gating point and then it hits right. and then it hits a tipping point and then everybody wants to be playing and then they want to be where their friends are. So just to bring it back to the news then, because that's where the trends are going and how to think about in the big picture. Let's talk about esports for a minute in particular. So you guys are saying that this is part of the larger trend in what's happening with gaming, technology, social networks, the future of entertainment, really. But first of all, when I was at Wired, I did an op-ed in 2013 that argued <laughs> that esports is quite a long time ago is no different than other sports. It was yeah. from Kevin Morris, who was at the Daily Dot at the time. And it was really interesting because I had to fight the headline desk because they're like, what the hell is esports? Yeah. And they were like, you can't say that. And just to give people context who are not familiar with that category, esports is big business. What really struck me is that it's not that it has a lot of the same features as traditional sports. You've got training, like Buga in particular yeah. was playing for only two years, but he played six to eight hours a day. Yeah. He's been training for two years, like entirely. He has a management company. There yeah. are sponsors, there are fans. You know, there's all these things in the regular sports ecosystem that play out with esports. So I'm actually curious for your thoughts in particular around esports about where does this fit and how to think about this? So I actually think the esports term is maybe a little bit tortured and Ooh, maybe not necessarily great. the best term, but you can just think about this as like esports is another form of entertainment. Sports is one form of entertainment entertainment. You want to watch the people that are like the highest skilled people at any particular sport. And it's kind of like a performance-based form of entertainment. 
You also have like personality-driven forms of entertainment, right? That's everything from like reality TV to yeah, you can call that like some sort of esport in and of itself, right? I think esports sits somewhere in the middle of that kind of like performance-based entertainment, personality-based entertainment, right? Like Fortnite is much more kind of cartoonish. It's much more driven off the personality of the streamers. Ninja is probably the most famous and the most highly compensated streamer. And he's kind of like personality based. That's super interesting. That's like, how do you think about this along the spectrum of sports entertainment from your vantage point and tech and like the future of entertainment? Like, why does that matter? I mean, one aspect of it is that right now, when we when we think about sports and esports, inevitably it's a player versus player competitive type genre. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're going to very quickly find is that, you know, if you just go to YouTube and search for Minecraft, there are so many things that people want to watch that are not this PVP competitive kind of format. And so I think- Pillar versus player. Right. And, and so I think what we're going to see instead is we're going to end up seeing a, you know, vast set of, you know, new genres, a very watchable, very streamable entertainment experiences ultimately that have as much to do with, you know, creativity and creative expression you know, you can imagine playing rock band or, you know, Dance Dance Revolution or whatever. Oh like, my God, kind of imagine I love, that as a- I've always as, loved Dance Dance like, Revolution. You know, even if you take the metaphor as um, as game shows, right? Game shows are some of the most widely watched forms of entertainment. We don't call them sports, right? But people love watching them. And there's going to be competitive versions that aren't going to be about shooting somebody. It's going to be like, who can, you know, make the best virtual right. garden? You yeah. know, who can cook the best virtual recipes? That's going to be a thing. You're right. What I love about that is this, things that are they're very native to what people already do and love. Since like, there's a whole cult around the Great British Baking Bake Off. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like, imagine that in like, to your point, Andrew, right. like in sports form, that's super interesting. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny because people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe people watch other people play video games. But we watch like other people answer trivia questions. We watch other people play real physical sports. We watch other people like fix homes on reality TV in like quasi-competitive situations. That entire world exists. And it's just bringing that world into a place where people can do that more digitally. And then you're just creating the entertainment layer that's on, that sits yeah. on top of that interaction. So let's go just talk about Fortnite specifically. It was made by Epic Games. It allows up to 100 players to play at a time. And some people argue that's a thing that sort of made it really work. And a lot of games are now adding, you know, a battle royale mode where yep. people can fight and compete in like a confined space, etc. Fortnite was a top-ranked free game last year. It made $2.4 billion in revenue, according to Nielsen-owned Superdata Research. And I think people only focus on on the fact that it's been around for two years, but it wasn't really a sudden overnight success because it has a longer history. And I'm just curious for your guys' view on, on sort of this trend of a lot of these games starting to add a battle royale mode in particular. Yeah, I, one of the really fascinating patterns that's been happening in, in in the games world has been that, you know, oftentimes there's there's a whole ecosystem of modders. These are people yeah. that- Oh yeah, like the, you know, I love the modding community. In right, games. yeah, exactly. Modify and, and sort of, games. It's, exactly, that's right. They're modifying games, they're adding new assets, adding new roles, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, League of Legends was originally derived from Dota, which was a mod of Warcraft 3. And similarly, Fortnite had had a bunch of predecessors. You know, yeah. there was Par- PUBG. There was you know a mod that was built on you know Arma. You know, et cetera, et cetera. And so, I, and I modding think, goes all the way back to Doom and even before that. Well, yeah, exactly. And so, I think what we see is that you know many of these genres are taking time to kind of incubate and and kind of evolve in the mm-hmm. indie gaming community and in the modder community. And then you, you have a new entrepreneur that then comes out with a fully integrated AAA type level kind of thing, and that that kind of you know brings it forward. And, and I think what they end up tapping into, especially this kind of new generation of games, is bringing network effects into the games industry. What do you mean by that? What I mean is that it used to be that game was just a piece of content 
and you'd play it and then you were done. Right. A lot of the times these games are great. This tradition you're describing of modding, it actually leads to quick games being built and then dying. Right, right, exactly. And so what ends up happening is in a world where you can um, mod and then also ultimately create these full games that are multiplayer intrinsically and have competition, have these different elements, what these are tapping into is they're able to create video and streaming communities around the game that kind of keep it going. Hence the network. That's one form of a network. Another form of a network has been the the esports leagues and the teams and and this whole ecosystem of folks that management sponsors everything right right who all have this very strong incentive to like keep the game going and continue marketing it et cetera et cetera and then you know third one which we haven't talked about is you know user generated content Ah. in, in, in the context of games I'm actually very interested in that because that's actually been a trend in every media wave where there's always like a central established player that makes the content and then there's a user generated phase that kind of comes right after that. That's right. Yeah. And I think, you know, as much as we're talking about Fortnite's Battle Royale, you know, a lot of what the the company Epic has been, you know, emphasizing is their creative mode, which is just being able to like make cool structures and new types of uh, gameplay, et cetera. And that's another form of how you can build a network effect. The same one that's propelling Minecraft and Roblox, as well as, you know, kind of this entire modding community. That's obviously been one of the most powerful forces in the internet consumer product sphere. And I think it's inevitable that that all makes its way into the the, the games world. That's absolutely right. And I think the the focus you're seeing on games companies trying to build, whether it's whether it's esports, whether it's kind of battle royale or multiplayer modes, whether it's UGC, like- User-generated content. User-generated content, you know, like Epic didn't get Fortnite competitive, like the esports of Fortnite right on the first try, right? It took iterations. That's to me the interesting story here. Yeah. It's not an overnight success. It's not an overnight success. And like the game itself is not an overnight success. Yeah. The com- Like the esport, it is not an overnight success. But the idea of building towards network effects, I think you're seeing more and more games companies focused yeah. on that as the kind of ultimate end goal. So how does this play out with the real world? Because another really interesting article that actually the Wall Street Journal did this past week, and we've seen this as well, which is that real estate developers all over the country are trying to convert malls, convention centers, et cetera, into destinations for esports. They're doing stuff like adding locker rooms, like broadcast studios, higher speed connectivity, massive LED video walls, like in Times Squares. And some of the cities involved here, like Baltimore, Philadelphia, Arlington, Texas, Los Angeles, New York, and Las Vegas, of course. So how do you guys think about this in this context. So, so I think that's a really interesting trend, which is, which is around this idea of like what's happening in real life versus what's happening in the digital world. This division between like atoms and bytes and gaming and this kind of genre is like this really fascinating transition point. You literally have people sitting in New York in a stadium watching something happen online. You also have people within the game watching the event happen within the game itself. And then you have like these characters and it's got this like Disney World feel to it. But then you also have this stuff where they announced Marshmallow was going to do a concert at the World Cup. And there's this moment where you're like, is that happening in the game? Is that happening online only? Because like Marshmallow had that concert, you know, a couple of months ago. That's right. That was a a big deal. The the cell membrane between like what's happening in real life and what's happening in the digital world in this game's context is getting super, super thin. People are now building stadiums for people to have esports competitions. And it's just this blending of the physical world and the digital world. Yeah. Nathan Jurgensen used to talk about this concept of digital dualism, that it's kind of a false dichotomy to separate in real life IRL and the online world in many ways. You're saying that games is the bridge between them, which yeah. I think is super fascinating. I think the other, the other thing that is happening, if you look at it from the real estate end of things, is that, um, you know, what are we going to do with all of this mall space, right? And what are we going to do with all these, you know, restaurants that are, you know, kind of the three-star Yelp restaurant, it's just there, you know, but like really you could order from your favorite place on, you know, Uber Eats or DoorDash or whatever. And like, you know, that's even better, right? So it's, you know, cities are changing a lot 
And there's a lot of space that's opening up that we're going to have to figure out what to do with it. And, you know, that very, very naturally leads to all these new forms of entertainment, especially when there are things that can drive foot traffic. Consumers are going to are going to go to go to these locations when they're deeply experiential, when they're very Instagrammable, when it's something that's fun to do together. What's going to drive people to go to the mall in these spaces versus doing it in their home? Yeah, I, I think there's a, a bunch of different reasons why people will ultimately want to go to these experiential places. The very first thing is, you know, if you've ever been to Oracle Arena while they're playing League of Legends in a group of like, you know, tens of thousands of people, it is a very different experience than doing it at home. Or you're going with your family to a, you know, sandbox VR, you're putting on all the latest gear and you have, you know, haptic feedback, you have like- so you can actually feel you know, the moves, not just play it in VR right. visually. And you, and you have fans, you have this and that, you know, and, you, and you're in a thousand square foot space. Like how, how many folks in San Francisco have a thousand square Nobody. feet of blank space <laughs> and, you know, five VR our headsets, uh, yeah. you know, and, and, and all the gear and custom software and content. When you're talking about the highest end cutting edge experience, you know, that is going to be something that, um, you know, you're going to have to do outside in a system that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. We also are very excited about the in-home experience as well, but that will always be a more casual type of, uh, you know, experience than, than what you can get out in the field. Ultimately, I think it's going to be both. This is a very hopeful future. Sounds like we're going to have a lot of fun and interesting entertainment, and it's going to creep into other areas of our lives, education, et cetera. So so we've covered everything in this episode from, you know, the recent milestone, Fortnite, gaming, esports, the future of entertainment, real estate. Bottom line it for me, like, how should we think about the recent news of Booga, 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 (laughs) making, you know, $3 million and in this context of these larger trends? So I think there's three things I can bottom line. One piece of it is... You know, it just reflects Fortnite's kind of status within the current zeitgeist at the top of the stack right now. I mean, obviously these things shift around, but for right now it's at the top. The second thing is it's the importance of esports competitive play to gaming more broadly. You know, publishers are going to continue to push this. Fortnite pushed this. You know, the importance of events like this, the important, the publicity they get, live events, the retention it drives, the kind of engagement it drives from players uh, is just going to kind of continue to grow. And it's going to be more and more important to publishers as they develop these games. The third thing is just it shows the size and scale of what happens when games meets network effects, right? Which I don't think is a surprise, but I think these what these events do is they crystallize it for the outside world. It gives you that point where you can now compare it to, you know, how big is Bogo relative to Tiger Woods or Roger or the, Federer or, or anything tennis, like that. Exactly. Because exactly. Physically took yeah, place you literally in the put same it in place. Arthur Ashe Stadium and right. now you have this nice contrast point, which for people outside of the gaming industry gives them something tangible about how big this is as a force in the world right now. Fantastic. Thank you guys for joining this segment. Awesome. Thank cool. you. All right. Thank you. 